Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Prepoint Pod. Today we are joined by Eloise Hazelwood, an Australian trained dancer whose journey has taken her across Europe and into many fascinating countries and companies. Eloise moved from Brisbane to Amsterdam after reading A Fault in Our Stars to follow her dreams. She shares with us her experiences adapting to life and customs abroad. This episode is a sure reminder that everything happens for a reason and it really is possible to be in the right place at the right time. joining me on the pre-point pod and just tell our listeners where are you now I'm in Portugal currently and thank you for having me on the show Louise (laughs) (laughs) oh that's it's it's an absolute pleasure so you're in Portugal so you're just about to start a contract dancing in Portugal can you tell us about your journey to this point none of my family were dancers and like most of the girls who want to be ballet dancers we just knew from a young age that that's what you wanted to do. And my mum always thought I'd grow out of it, but that never happened. <laughs> and then I received um, a place at the Queensland Dance School of Excellence, which is now the Queensland Ballet Academy, I believe. And I moved there when I was 14, so in year 10. And then I stayed there with the ballet stream for year 11 and 12, even though I had considered doing moving to a private school um, to do, yeah, private coaching. But I decided that I really wanted to finish school and graduate. And actually, I'm glad I did that, even though it may have made it a bit harder to get a job, like because afterwards I received a place to move to the Dutch National Ballet Academy in Amsterdam. And most of the kids there had been doing private schooling or full-time from a younger age than me, because even in the Queensland ballet academy as it is now I was just doing say three and a half hours per day which is borderline full-time um so then I actually received a place at the Dutch National Ballet Academy from doing a summer school in Sydney it was the McDonald College summer school and randomly the director from the Dutch National Ballet Academy was there and I didn't know anything about the school in Amsterdam. My mom was like, yeah, you should definitely audition while you're there. And so she's the one who, um, who really persuaded me to go to the audition. And then actually I was reading the book 
um, Fault in Our Stars. <laughs> this is really corny, but by John Green. And it's the part where they're in Amsterdam and it sounds all amazing. And it was just the night before the audition. So I was like, this sounds like a really nice place to live. I was like super inspired. And then it gave me something to really like work towards for the audition. And yeah, and I remember the day before Paul Boyd had also given us a speech at the summer school and about how you just need to dance for yourself and don't try and impress them, just be yourself and enjoy. And so I think the combination of those two things just really showed and I was offered a place in Amsterdam. So Incredible. I arranged it. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots to speak about, yes. So how old were you when that happened? I was 16 and then I was 17 when I moved because I organised with the school to that I could graduate in Australia and then I moved there to start in January, even though the season or the schooling began in, began in August, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so just after you'd finished year 12, you went yes. straight away. Yeah, so I yeah. was lucky because yeah. I got to finish year 12. Lots of people don't. And also I was younger because now I think you're 18 when most kids finish year 12. Okay, so you're 17 and moving to Amsterdam by yourself? Yeah, by myself. Yep, yep. and so tell us about... Um, you know, were there any sort of experiences you had in that in the first maybe three months where you were you were like, was there any culture shock or um, did you just was was Amsterdam as you read it in the book? Like, was it everything you thought it would be? The director actually, when I auditioned and he offered me the place, he really suggested that my mom and I go and visit Amsterdam and visit the school to see if he said you can't just move to the other side of the world without knowing what it's going to be like. So. We did that. We went for a trip that March, I think, just for a week. We thought we were a bit crazy. And I took class um, because there was a new director taking over, actually. And the weather was amazing, which was really unusual for Amsterdam. So my mom and I totally fell in love with the city. And I was like, this is definitely where I want to go. And then, yeah, when I moved there, I remember (laughs) the night before I said goodbye to my mom and she flew back. And then I started the next day at the school and I was... We're both crying so much. <laughs> Obviously, when you're 17, it's the first time like you move to the other side of the world and you don't know when you'll see each other again. But it's a sacrifice you have to do for dancing. And I was much older than lots of my friends. I know friends who've moved to full-time schools and away from their families and they're 12, which they tell me is too young. <laughs> if you become yeah. a mother, don't send your kid away when they're 12. <laughs> they're 12. And so are these people that you've met when you've been dancing in Europe since then? or Yeah, they're some of my good yeah. friends. One of them, yeah. yeah, she's a dancer. I lived with her in Amsterdam and the other one, I also met her at the school in Amsterdam and now she was dancing with me in Czech Republic as well. Yeah. So, yeah. so once you graduated um, the training in Amsterdam, then what was the next move? It's a bit of a whirlwind um, yeah. <laughs> journey. <laughs> Should I explain about Grand Audition? Yeah, I guess. Yes, so. definitely. Yeah. Tell us that. I think I'd love to hear your experiences actually, because I think that's it's a big. Um, the Grand Audition is this like big sort of mystical. Um, you know, everyone in Australia talks about it. It's the place to go to get a job, and you know, to be, yeah. you know, and and I think there's a lot of people that speculate because they've never been there and they only hear other people's stories. But what's mm-hmm. what's your perspective? What was your experience like? Hmm. Well, the grand audition started in 2016, I'm pretty sure, and I went in 2017, which was the second year. So, 
in 2016, I'd seen lo lots of my colleagues in Amsterdam do the audition process and go around and go to the grand audition. And it was always really interesting, the people who got the jobs and it, they weren't necessarily the best at all. Like I was always shocked when the results came back from people who'd been in auditions because you never know what they're looking for. And like some of the strongest dancers didn't get um, contracts for a long time. So well, I went to grand audition and there's the first day which you do class. There's two classes of about, no, four classes, I think, of about 50 people each on stage. And it was a rake stage. <laughs> and then if you're chosen through to the second round, there's, I think it's about 50 people. I don't remember exactly. But you do your variation as well on stage, classical variation. <laughs> so the manage uphill was interesting. <laughs> Yeah, are there rake stages in Australia, actually? Not really. I think I in some of the older theatres uh, there used to be. And actually I was talking about this the other day with um, an exercise scientist who was just interested to know. Um, and I think like a lot of the, maybe some of the operas or um, the big musicals like build in a rake stage for just especially <laughs> for their shows. But there aren't, I don't think there are that many theatres anymore that have a rake or if there is a rake, it's not very big. So, yeah. 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 It's the same as Europe, I think. Like, because the audition was in Spain. So it must have been an old theater in Spain, in San Cugat. And then in Russia, they're all rake stages. And I think there's some rake stages in Italy. But other than that, <laughs> they're usually pretty flat. Even in Russia, the studios were raked, which was very interesting. Like, you take bar in the morning, and one morning, depending on which way you face, you're leaning to one side. I guess that's good practice though I mean you know and, and you're saying like you hadn't prepared to dance on a rake stage before but you know if you're dancing in a rake studio it, I guess it gives you that sort of sense of placement and things like that that you you know after a while it would feel quite normal I guess I don't know yeah I mean I haven't told the listeners yet but I was dancing in Russia and then after I left Russia and doing pirouettes on not a raked surface is quite different <laughs> So and even when I first arrived in Russia, learning to turn and you, you spot differently. But yeah, it's still dancing at the end of the day. Um, yeah, wow. yeah, so Grand Audition, mm. after the first mm. day, I was, there was a list of names who were put on the board by the Russian director of the Mikhailovsky Theatre. And he was good friends with the director in Novosibirsk Theatre. And he, he took us aside and said, some of you I would like for my for Mikhailovsky and some of you I think would be a good fit in Siberia. <laughs> and I was there with the, my friend, a French boy. And when we walked away, we were like, I was like, are, are you going to go to Siberia? He's like, never. He's like, will you? I was like, no, I think that's the last place I want to go. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then we had the next day. And then after the second round, um, I was actually taking to the interview stage I was one of about eight people I think so imagine there's 200 people and only about eight people get interviews and even some of those people at interviews it didn't go anywhere it I know there were some issues with Bordeaux they were invited to go there for like the the director thought or it wasn't even the director it was someone of a high position but I think they were about to get fired it was a very iffy situation and they said come to our audition and we think you get a job and then people went to the audition and they didn't even get the job so it's like doing two auditions without a job but 
anyway, I was lucky and Norwegian National Ballet needed a girl right away. So the next week, which was not what I was expecting, I went there for an audition wow. to get a job for August. So it was a Thursday, I think. I remember and it was like 2 p.m., I guess. So no, even later, like five. So in Australia, that's like three o'clock in the morning or something. And I didn't know what to do. So he's like, you have to decide like now, basically. And I called my dad and he was like fast asleep. And he woke up and was like, you know, sleepy. And I was like, dad, I've just been offered a job, but I have to start next week in Norway. What should I do? And his reaction was, well, it'd be easier if you finish school first. (laughs) (laughs) Typical. But then I figured I worked this hard at school to get a job. That's the whole point of all this training. So I'd be a fool to turn it down. And I accepted it. And I'm so glad that I did. I would have regretted if I didn't. I think you have to take every opportunity that comes because this world is, the valley world is hard. It's not easy. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, I got the job on Thursday. Friday, I flew back to Amsterdam. Saturday, I packed my bags. And Sunday I flew and then Monday I started my new job. It was so crazy. That was the beginning of my crazy life. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. And so how long did you dance in Norway? And when you were there, yeah, what what were you performing? Um, I went there to do for four months. And firstly, it was a contemporary version of Sleeping Beauty. So it was called Sleepless Beauty which was choreographed by one of the dancers, Melissa Howe, who was also a principal dancer in America. Boston, I think, or yeah, or Houston, but one of the huge companies in America. So that was a great opportunity to to work with the choreographer as well and a new piece. And the dancers were all amazing. Like I really loved the environment there in Norway. And the pay is much higher than most of the other companies. Um, and then we did donkey shot donkey shot depending on how you pronounce it Um, yeah so I knew that that contract was just four months so I still had to work out what I wanted to do after that so Mm. that was only until the end of the season like July yeah and is that so that's two or three seasons already in the four months that you were there there I mean they're great ballets to add to your resume already in that short space of time Mm. Um, yeah Um, Mm. I mean it was just the two of them the two shows but Mm. we did yeah like a lot of those shows it's very well planned there and yeah it was good to be on my resume for sure because then they were having an audition in Sweden Royal Swedish and it's like an eight-hour bus ride so I was like okay of course I will go that I seem silly not to go it was over the weekend so I took Flixbus overnight. If you, if any dancer in Europe will know Flixbus, it's the cheap bus that goes between countries <laughs> and it's horrible because you don't sleep. But um, if you want to travel, it's the cheapest way to do it. <laughs> dancers That's think great. they're going to Europe, write that down. <laughs> so I took the overnight bus, I think eight hours and arrived in Sweden and auditioned the next day. So <laughs> that was not fun with a lack of sleep. But actually they asked in the audition they said put your hands up if you'll be available to work with us on for us one lake like in a couple of weeks I didn't put my hand up because I already had a contract with Norway and so I thought that was part of my obligation to stay there and then I came back to Norway and then the 
the company was going on a short tour with, um, which was it? But one of the ballets that they'd done in the previous, Carmen, from the previous season. So I didn't learn that one. I, I wasn't cast. So I had some time free. And then I remember the one of the ballet masters came in and they said, oh, yeah, um, Royal Swedish Ballet just called our director and asked if you can come and work with them for Swan Lake. And the director said, yes, sure, that I could go. So we spoke about that. And then I ended up going to Sweden just for a month for because lots of the girls were injured. So I learned Swan Lake in about two days or something and then was thrown into rehearsal. But in the end, I didn't actually perform. But that was crazy because there were terrorist attacks in Sweden at that time, actually. So I remember on the premiere of the performance, it didn't happen because... That was the same day that they had the terrorist attack in Stockholm. So mm. that was really frightening. We were all locked in the theatre in Sweden. Yeah, and there were people outside and the public transport was cancelled. And yeah, that's not talking about ballet, but that was crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, part of this um, interview is is us learning about what it's like to live somewhere overseas, you know, somewhere where you might not speak the language very well or if you if you do being able to express yourself it's it's hard until you have time to practice and learn different idioms and things like that and like even understanding what's going on in that situation must have been really scary right yeah although in Scandinavia everyone's mm. English is very good and also Amsterdam mm. in, I mean in Holland I don't know about the rest of Holland but Amsterdam especially it's so international and multicultural mm. that English is the main language I remember before I left Australia I thought that like French was still the main because you know it used to be the old trading language and I thought that everyone would speak French in all the other countries which was a bit silly but it's not true English is the main language that people are learning to communicate like for sure but Russia is the place where people can speak English (laughs) I was going to say (laughs) yeah (laughs) I was just going to ask whether there were many English speakers in Russia and did you learn some Russian when you live there as well um yeah I learned Russian while I was there because it was in Siberia. It wasn't just Russia. It was mm. the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. So, so how did you end up in the place you never thought you would end up? Because that's an interesting story. And and the town that you would, or the, the ballet company you were dancing with really is, like if anybody, um, if can you spell it for us? Because people who may not have heard of it before and need to Google it can have a look and see where you actually <laughs> were dancing. <laughs> You have to really scroll in with your fingers to find it. <laughs> uh, Novosibirsk. So that's N O V O S I B I R S K. And it's just above Kazakhstan, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> I, and so, when, I, so did you, like, when did you move to Russia or Siberia? Mm. It was, I found out because I was after, after the grand audition, they said they'd contact me in about a month, I think. Mm -hmm. And then a month went by and I hadn't heard anything. So I emailed the people of grand audition and asked like, if I was, if I, how I would find out about the contract in Russia, if it was an option or not. And they said that they Mm -hmm. will contact you directly. So I guess that I didn't get the contract because it'd been a month. And I remember I, I called my mom and I was like, yeah, so I didn't find anything. I probably won't go to Russia. She was like, oh, thank God. Like, because, you know, 
when you're not in Russia, you hear all these things about Putin and all these scary things about Russia and mm. yeah, the military. And so my mom was very relieved. And then literally the next day I received an email and it just said, hello, Eloise Hazelwood, you have been offered a contract with the Novosibirsk State Ballet, quarter ballet contract. Do you accept or not? And I was like, I don't know anything about the company. Like, I need to know some more information, please. But it was crazy. Yeah. So actually, so then that got me thinking. I was like, well, it's a quarter ballet contract, um, which is what I wanted and not junior company or, yeah, it's already like a step ahead, not having to go to the building blocks. Because I know in lots of companies, you have to go through the junior company to get to the main company. They will only take people through the junior. Um, mm. And then it was a year and it was a very classical company because in the rest of Europe, they do about half contemporary, half classical. Whereas in Russia, if you want to do classical ballet, that's the place to go. And I also wanted to learn another language. I tried to learn Dutch in Amsterdam, but... <laughs> we spoke English all the time my director was French I heard French more than I heard Dutch and in Norway I mean I wasn't there so long but everyone's English is so good it's difficult to learn the language this is what I mean so I figured even if it's perhaps not worth it ballet wise like I, I have no idea what it was going to be like at least I will learn a language like I will learn something you know I'll get something out of it so I figured if I can survive in in Siberia then I can live anywhere. That was basically <laughs> what I was telling myself. And it's true, I think. So, so and at I this point like you were 18 or, 18 or 19? Yeah? I think, 18? yeah, I was 19 when I moved. Oh, 19. 17, 18. I was 19 when I was in, yeah, I was 19. I was 19 when mm. I received my first job in Norway and then I was still 19 when I moved to Russia. And that's such yeah. an adventurous attitude for somebody that young, you know. I mean, you know, to have already lived in all those different places and and to just say, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to learn something along the way and it doesn't matter <laughs> if it's good or bad. <laughs> I'm yeah. challenge myself. I love it. It's awesome. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. And so, yeah. and so what, what was it like? Was it like scary Putin military? Mm, no, actually, especially Siberia, like, the young people are very um, more modern and cool and not stuck with all these old traditional cultural values, which majority of the people did have, though, I will say. And it's very misogynistic, misogynistic society. Like I was there with I, I also moved there with a, another boy. So I knew someone else when I was going there, which also mm. made me feel much better. <laughs> so he yeah. also received from the Grand Audition. And he was gay, actually, and they don't tolerate, like, it's not accepted to be gay in Russia either, so he didn't tell anyone. Um, but nevertheless, I remember we first arrived, we needed a translator to go get the SIM card for our phone. And we went to the shop, and then we met the man in the shop who was going to help us with the SIM card, and he turned to my friend, Paolo, and shook his hand, and started speaking to him in Russian. My friend didn't understand any Russian, which neither did I. But the man didn't even acknowledge that I was there, didn't shake my hand. I was like, and we were basically equals, like my friend and I, just the fact that he was a man, like 
they they assumed that he was the one who they were going to do business with. I, I remember that was very shocking. So no one will shake your hand if you're in Russia, if you're a girl. Men shake men's hands, but mm. anyway, yeah. So that was, that was already a shock from the beginning. And then I was living with him. And <laughs> because he didn't tell anyone that he was gay, um, people thought that we were like dating. But then he had other good ah. girls, like friends who were girls. Um, so the men in the company were like quite confused. They're like, oh, so you have a girl on the side and then you have a girl that you live with. And I couldn't say anything. So it put me in a bit of an awkward position because I wasn't going to tell them. Yeah. yeah. But it was fine. It was funny, but um, not funny at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I mean that yeah. that I mean that must have been yeah just another layer of complexity to add to everything. Yeah, yeah, I mean when I went to Russia they work you very hard so from the beginning I was just trying to focus on ballet and you know you want to give a good impression and you're a new company and trying to understand every day what's going on because everything's in Russian. The first Russian I learned was pered nazad which means like front back like the things in class because all of class was in Russian as well but actually it's a great way to learn I mm. yeah the first six months was really difficult to speak the language and like I was just trying to understand I remember lying in bed at night and just Russian words going through my head like I couldn't sleep because there's so much information my brain was trying to process and then I actually got injured in November because so I started in September in early November, it was the dress rehearsal for Nutcracker by Nacho And he came to visit and he spoke English. So I was like so relieved because they had a translator into Russian for the Russian dancers. But I was like, I don't need the translator. This is amazing. <laughs> for once, it's the other way around. Um, but yeah, I was just very tired and I injured myself on stage. Mm. And then that was very difficult because I was there for ballet. It was winter in Siberia. I didn't have so many friends and I couldn't dance. <laughs> yeah. So. And so at that point, this is probably a good time to talk about your different experiences with um, healthcare in Europe. And so, you know, um, you've now danced in three or three different countries in the four different countries. So, yes. Yeah, four. Yeah, four. So you've been able to experience um, and maybe not always been injured in those countries, but just different experiences in different countries and the different ways the health system works and the way that different cultures maybe look at different healthcare practitioners as well. Yeah, especially for you being a physio. And as a dancer, I think it's very important to know what healthcare and you're going to receive when you move somewhere. The Netherlands had very good healthcare. Nor Norway was incredibly good. They look after you very well, but also because it was the national company. If you work for a national company, you get more money from the government and generally you have more access to different types of healthcare. Like they have physio and massage even in Norway. And they even had acupuncture there and people who will give you personal training, like exercises if you want to strengthen something. Um, and this is for free at, at being part of the company as an employee? That, or did that's you have to pay? as part of the company, yeah. Mm -hmm. And most companies will have a gym as well. But then Russia, they, um, Pilates, people don't really do that. Physio is almost non-existent there. There was just one masseuse who was upstairs 
who was a bit of an alcoholic. <laughs> um, and he was also considered the physio, even though I don't know exactly what his background training was. So that was a big shock, especially after having grown up in Australia. Most of the research for physio, I, I don't know if this is true, but I think there is a lot of it goes on in Australia. Like Australia is kind of groundbreaking in terms of physiotherapy and research about dancers' bodies and healthcare, health health. Yeah, I think, you know, because we obviously have such a focus, a cultural focus on sport as well. So I think a lot of the research that comes from our sport, um, you know, uh, even the football codes, we can kind of borrow that and, and use it for ballet and kind of give and take a bit. But I think also the UK and the States probably have, yeah, um, advances in healthcare for dancers. But that's, I mean, that's an interesting experience, yeah. And so, um, you know, what would your advice be, you know, to a dancer who's moving overseas and maybe, um, you know, to help them prepare, I guess, for what might be there or what might not be there and what's the sort of price of healthcare, like compared to Australia, paying for things like massage or an X-ray or something like that. Have you ever had to do that before? Yeah, in Russia, I did pay for massages myself and... I, because you can go to somewhere which takes, I mean, I mean, if you have the choice between, there's a company, Masseuse, but often there's so many dancers in the company, there are about 100 in my company. So to find time to go there, like when he's not booked, is quite difficult. And of course, the principal dancers are top priority. So I would pay to get massages. And I also had MRIs, I, I'm pretty sure I paid for, because you do have insurance in companies, but the thing is the insurance definitely varies on where you are and what it covers. In most companies, if you get injured, you will get paid a lot less, which means that lots of dancers end up dancing with injuries because they don't want to go to the lower salary. And, then and is that because you're not problem. able to perform in shows or is that just because you're not? Yeah. Like, what? If, if yeah. You, yeah. If you go for the... In Czech Republic, it's called Neskopenko, at least, but it's basically injury leave. Then you get um, something from your doctor to say that you can't dance, and then you'll have to stay home, and often there's someone who comes in and checks on you to, that you're at home. So you have to be home between... You can't leave home after 4 p.m. or something. It's quite ridiculous. <laughs> at least in Czech Republic, wow. that's what it was like. But then the services for healthcare, I mean, it's limited depending on where you are, like... You just have to hope that you have a good physio and someone who's good who's taking care of you. Like, I guess it's the same in every country. Like, well, maybe not every country, but at least in Europe, it definitely varied. Like some doctors you would go to and they'd be amazing and other doctors you go to, they they don't know what they're telling you and they tell you something wrong. And so then um, how long were you dancing in Russia for before moving to Czech Republic? I was there for two years. So I actually came home. To Australia because I was it was almost Christmas and I still wasn't dancing because my ankle wasn't getting better and mm. I came back to Australia and I'd finally seen a doctor and they said oh you should have been in a boot this whole time even though I was in the studio trying to get back to working because I didn't know what to do so I flew home to Australia had Christmas at home was it amazing like the sun I remember after being in winter in like minus 40 in Russia to plus 30 mm. in Brisbane. It was such a shock. <laughs> I didn't realize how amazing Brisbane was until I left. After living in somewhere like 
not even Russia, but like because Moscow and St. Petersburg, I think they're for tourists and they put most of the money towards those places. But in Novosibirsk, which is the third biggest city, but it's more like real Russia, like it's quite poor. People don't live amazingly. Comparing that to Brisbane, Brisbane is like a dream. I was like, <laughs> yeah. So then I saw you and I got pro- proper healthcare and um, I didn't have so long because I said I'd be back by a certain date in January. I think it was three and a half weeks. And then I returned and I was back to dancing when I went back to Russia. And funny thing is my Russian was a lot better after that three week break for my brain to have no Russian and just to process everything I'd learned in those few months. And I went mm. back and yeah, it was really strange, but that's when I started to speak Russian. Mm. Just some time for your brain to, to sleep properly, probably. And yeah, to just kind of digest everything that had happened. And I guess, yeah, when you go home to your family, it must be nice, you know, when you do get the chance to visit Australia. Yeah. Mm. That's another thing. If you're going overseas to work in Europe, the holidays are different. So Mm. we, we usually get our summer holidays. So that's, usually during July or August a month um, in a company. And then at Christmas, I haven't had time to go home for Christmas while, while working here. At school, I had two weeks off, so I could go home for a week and a half. But hmm. working, you usually have nutcrackers and no breaks over Christmas. So that means hmm. you don't end up having summer holidays with the family in, in Australia, which I do miss. But... Instead of that, usually my family visited me in Europe and we had summer together um, in July. Mm. But obviously now with COVID, that's a different situation. So if mm. if you do want to have the same holidays as, as your family, like if you have brothers or sisters at, at school or something in Australia, then I know like Hong Kong and places in Asia perhaps have similar holidays. So maybe that's something to think about. Or even, mm. I mean, places in south, Southern Hemisphere, I guess. Like, I guess South Africa. <laughs> Although I don't know anything about the company there. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is that is something, you know, um, that I hadn't even thought to ask. But it does make a difference when you can spend, and it, obviously you're travelling so far when you're going, like you're travelling for a whole day anyway to get home, plus, plus depending on yeah. how you go. <laughs> So, you know, that already is is time, you know, and that you lose when you only have a short holiday. Christmas time, obviously in Europe, you know, it's a it's winter time. It's very, very cold, <laughs> um, especially in Russia. And you're still performing over Christmas. And in, in Australia, that's really different. So, you know, typically there aren't that many shows on, you know, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, Christmas Eve, Boxing Day. Like, is that a thing in Europe or how does it work? I've only spent Christmas in Russia and Czech Republic while working because when I was in Norway, it was always during the summer. And Czech Republic, we had a New Year's Eve show. So we did work on New Year's Eve um, because every year they take turns to do kind of a joke, like a parody of a ballet one year, then the next year is a theatre and the next year is an opera. So actually it's lots of fun, but still you work New Year's Eve. I think we had Christmas Day off. Yeah, we, we did get a few days off for Christmas. But in Russia, because they celebrate their Christmas differently, even the New Year's for them is huge. But for them, the 25th is nothing. It's just another working day. And they celebrate Christmas on the 7th instead. So we didn't, in Russia, it was crazy. We got one day off a week on Mondays. 
and you don't get any extra days the whole year round. No extra days for Easter, no extra days for for Christmas. And we had five, six shows a week with the Monday off. So I was hoping to travel a lot in Russia, but it didn't end up happening because <laughs> occasionally we got two days off, but you're so tired, you don't really have so much energy to travel. Um, but yeah, that was hard, like working through Christmas and no one else even celebrating the Christmas really. Um, because when I moved, I was the first international girl, but um, there were a few Italian guys and a Japanese boy. But the second year, more international people came. Like every year, I think it's becoming more and more international there. Wow. Slowly. But the visas is also another thing on the holidays. You have mm. to go and renew the yep. visa, which is lots of fun. <laughs> going to the have Russian you had, Yeah, okay. I was just, well, that was going to be a question of mine. So, you know, I hear a lot of stories about dancers that have had issues with visas and passports and things. Um, traveling around Europe to different countries, there are different rules and issues. Like, have it sounds to me like every job you've had, you've moved very quickly from one to the next. But was there any kind of administrative headache that happened, you know, that with a visa or something like that? I was very lucky because my mom is English, so I have an English passport. So for me, that made a big difference. Like, when I was auditioning in Europe, I auditioned as British. Because before Brexit, that made life a lot easier. Now, I think I'm going to use my Australian passport because the UK are not invited anywhere, really. Um, unless you want to work in England, because now UK are only really accepting people to their auditions who are British or who have British citizenship. So I would totally take advantage of that if you're an Australian who has a British passport. And that's something to really think about because... So many people want to go to the companies there, but they just can't because of Brexit. Um, but with Norway, no, that definitely made the process so much faster because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to go there so fast if I was only Australian, unfortunately. Russia, um, I did need the visa and I used my Australian passport because Australia is lucky, actually, because you have a good relationship with most countries. You're fairly neutral. Mm. So that is something that's very good when you're traveling. Okay, maybe it'll take longer mm. to get the visas, but in the end, you won't have any political things going against you. Whereas I know Americans often have problems. And so, but Russia, <laughs> I did have some problems. Once when I went home, it was when I was injured and then I came back and then they didn't stamp my passport correctly when I was in Moscow because you always have to go through uh. Moscow to get to, they were, and then, I was illegally working there or something because they didn't do my passport documents properly. So I had to go overnight across the border into Kazakhstan just to go out of the country so then I could return and get the proper st stamp. So we were, it was in winter in a car <laughs> with like, oh no. I was with the translator and five other Kazakhstani men <laughs> in this like shuttle bus. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it was snow. We left at like 8 p.m. We got there at like 3 a.m. Oh, they just oh stamped gosh. it. So half an hour across the border and then the eight hours back in the car. It was like, um, it was like something from a movie. <laughs> but yeah, if the car had broke down, I don't know what would have happened in all that snow. <laughs> but other than that, the company has always worked everything out for me. Like usually if it's a, if it's a state company or a national company, they usually have good administrators and they should do all the paperwork for you. Russia has so much paperwork. <laughs> Never seen so much paperwork <laughs> in my life. 
I didn't understand half yeah. it either, so I just had to trust them yeah. because when I arrived, I didn't read it. Like they made, yeah, so, not translations of everything. So, yeah, yeah that's also. I mean, that's me. something interesting. Like now, obviously, like there are apps on your phone you can use to translate things. I know I visited、mm-hmm. China not too long ago and used apps that use the camera in your phone to translate things. Have you used those before? Like, how have you gotten by when you've needed it? Yeah, Google Translate saved my life、yep. when I first went to Russia. Like, even just、yep. <laughs> getting because trying to have a conversation with someone and it's just、mm. not working, so you just have to Google it and show them on the phone.、Mm. I mean, they understand, and that's the point. Like, yeah, I was talking about this. Like, maybe people won't even need to learn the languages anymore if you can speak into something and then it will speak their language back. But I think it's very important. Like, if this is what I was going to say, living in a country that has a different culture, I think it does make life difficult if you don't speak the language. Like, it's the、mm. simple things, just like, oh, I need to go fix this, but then to go to the shop, you don't speak the language. To like, it's just this extra step of like misunderstanding that will happen. <laughs> just makes life harder.、Mm. So, I think. It's a good idea to move to a country where you're interested in that culture and that language. Like, if you have the choice, obviously, and also weather. For me, that's part of the reason I left Russia. Like, I'm not a winter person,、mm. and to go there when there was minus forty, well, already minus is cold for me. Already, my first winter <laughs> in Amsterdam, I was like, me too. Dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so、mm. that's part of what made me.、Um, Accept the contract to move to Portugal because a few months ago I was thinking if I settle down I want to stay like Spain, Portugal, Italy, or Australia. I was like, for、mm. sure. I when I stay somewhere I'll stay somewhere warm, and the opportunity arose. So I just kind of took it <laughs> and let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And so you're in Portugal now on a holiday.、Um, we were talking before and. And you, you going back to Czech and then coming back to Portugal to start work with the company soon. I guess you know living in all these different places. Were you living by yourself in in these places in like an apartment, or did you have flatmates, or were you staying with、um, families? Like what what was it like adjusting to a new living environment?、Um, I've lived in lots of different living situations. Actually, I've <laughs> had so many roommates. Yeah. When I first moved to Amsterdam, I lived in a student hotel, which was amazing because, I mean, it was student accommodation. You had your own room; it was soundproof, your own bed, your own bathroom, and then you shared a kitchen with people. I think it was with eight other people, but I was very lucky because these people cleaned up after themselves. Because I've heard nightmare stories about people not cleaning up if you're sharing a kitchen with so many people. But for me, that situation was ideal because you had your own space. You had your like you had your own room, your own privacy, and then when you wanted to socialize, you just went to the living room slash kitchen, and there was usually someone there. Like you can cook with other people, and it was also nearby other friends who were living closely. I've lived with friends. I've lived with dancers. I lived with non-dancers. You have to prepare yourself. Is the cultural difference that you'll find with people、mm. living with other people, even dancers, but if they come from other countries with other cultures. It, <laughs> yeah, it can make life sometimes difficult, sometimes lots of fun. Like、mm. you just have to make sacrifices for each other and try and find a happy medium.、Um, 
yeah, I even lived by myself in Russia, but it was the middle of winter and we were working so much that everyone was too tired to do anything afterwards. So I ended up just working and coming home and being by myself. So personally, I didn't enjoy that. <laughs> like if yeah, we'd had yeah. more time off, I think it would have been a different situation. I don't know. I very much like people's company. But then when I was living with some friends in one of the companies, they really want to save money. So we weren't even allowed to use the heaters in winter, which was a bit crazy. So Ooh. it depends on your personality as well, whether you're really going to. But if you're working with these people, you don't want to argue with them either. Like you want to keep mm. that good dynamic at work. And if they know mm. all your friends. So that's also something worth thinking about, whether you live with dancers or mm. I think. Personally, I prefer to live with people who are not associated with my work. So then you can have a bit of a break from work. Yeah. And if something happens at home, it won't affect you in, in the company as well. I mean, this is mm. living anywhere. It's not just overseas. But I oh, think. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's probably a nice way to meet other people as well outside the work circle too. Like I think if you're living with someone you work with, you're probably also friends with all of their friends. But if you're living with someone who maybe you don't work with, then you'll meet, you know, people who are doing all sorts of things in the country that you're in. And so were they people that, were they also internationals that weren't the non-dancers that you were living with or were they wherever you were living, were they in their home country? Like how did you find each other? Share. usually internationals so the mm. past year and a half I've been working in Czech Republic and mm. the city that I'm in Bruno is mm. it has lots of Erasmus students and lots of universities so there's lots of international mm. people in the universities so currently I was living with a Slovakian girl who'd been there for a while and a Russian girl actually she just moved in so oh. that was a good opportunity to practice Russian because it's disappearing a bit I haven't practiced for a while yeah, I think in most countries they will have a Facebook page where will be international people yeah. living in that that country. And it's if you're looking for accommodation, it's often a really easy way to find other people looking for accommodation or flats that people are putting up for rent. Like the internet is so useful nowadays. <laughs> yeah. How has that changed? Yeah. Like, do you feel that it's changed in the time that you've been over there? Like, I guess because you've been there now since 2000 and. 15 is that correct yeah um I'm trying to think just that Skype is basically non-existent anymore <laughs> yeah how funny is that Zoom has taken over especially with COVID I think mm. the COVID made us also realize how useful it is to I, I mean the technology and contacting each other from across the world um, I, I don't know I think I think the Google Translate, the translation apps have definitely mm. like improved a lot since I moved to Amsterdam. The fact that you can point it at something and it automatically translates is like magical. I don't know what else. Like we always had social media. The phones were always working. Yeah. As, I mean, it's just the phones have kind of. They're just I don't I know, getting, getting better, better cameras. Yeah, the technology <laughs> is improving like miles ahead of me. So, yeah, with that comes faster things and easier things but is there anything else that you want to share with with our listeners about your experiences or any advice or words of wisdom that you want to impart um, I was gonna say about um Russia as well for that 
eating habits. Or if you're going to go overseas, mm. it's good to see a good nutritionist and know how to cook for yourself properly and look after your body and what it needs if you're going to be dancing a lot. Um, because in different countries, that's also part of the culture that people will eat differently and people around you will eat differently and the options will be different. Like depending on how many fresh fruit and vegetables, like most places don't have as much choice as Australia. You're very lucky there. Um, mm. That also depends on the climate, like the warmer the climate, I think generally the fruit and vegetables will be better. Mm. Even the meat in some places. Um, and in Russia, there was a pressure to be very skinny as well. Mm. So I don't know. That's something to think about for, I don't know if you, if you can mentally handle that as well. Um, mm. And to make sure that because health comes first, really, is what I've learned as well. Like before, when I was a student and, you know, all you want to be is professional ballet dance and you will sacrifice anything. I don't know. I'm sure there's lots of other dancers out there who are like that. You, you realize the sacrifice you have to make and you're like, OK, but you shouldn't sacrifice your body. You shouldn't sacrifice your health. I've seen it with lots of people because if you especially eating properly, if you don't fuel yourself properly, then you're much more likely to get injured. And if you don't treat your injuries properly as well, you'll make it a lot harder in the long run. And follow your heart. It's, it's hard to find the balance between um, being happy at work and, and the city as well, like having good friends and your, your life outside work. Because I think it's important to have a bit of both. Some people can manage, like in Russia, so, so many people, their life was just ballet all the time, 24-7. Mm. And if that makes you happy, then good for you but um if you can find some happiness outside of ballet as well or outside of dance I think that's definitely a bonus and then I think it will even help you more at work I'm giving advice, no but, but I think um, you've had such a wealth of experiences it, it really is amazing to chat I have one last question that I'm asking all of the guests on the pre-point pod mm-hmm. and that is what kind of point shoes do you wear I wear freeds. Yeah. And so, when did you start wearing freeds? Actually, I, I visited England when I was, I think, 12. And at that time, I was looking for my first pair of point shoes. So my mom oh. was like, let's go to the freed shop. So actually, oh. my first pair of point shoes ever were freed. Wow. It's really funny. And then. So how did you get them when you were dancing in Australia? No, I just, I just bought one them? pair oh. for my first pair. And oh. then I moved on okay. to. I think Sancha when I was oh, yeah. when I was young. And and then I moved back to Amsterdam and the teacher was like, Yeah, we think you should try Freed, like because every dancer wants to find a pair that looks good on them and feels good. Mm. And so then I fell in love with Freed again. And then I've had troubles with point juice traveling because Norway would give me Freed, but Russia, you can't have Freed because they're too expensive as well. And to ship from England is such a hassle. So then I tried Gaino and Grishko. I've tried a bit of everything. And then I came to Czech Republic. They also wouldn't supply me with Freed because of the price. So mm. I bought some by myself <laughs> just to have in okay. case for, mm. for stage when I wanted to. But then in the studio, I would wear Sancha. Um, but that's another reason I'm moving to Portugal. So they say they will supply me with Freed. So oh. <laughs> it's, how nice. I don't know. That's so nice. Life's Every company cool. though that you've danced in has supplied you with shoes. It just might not be exactly what you're used to, right? Yeah, yeah you have to be prepared yeah. to change, um, which is is hard sometimes. Like 
Yeah. Of course, you can you can dance, but it's not the same. And then your habits will change depending on the shoes sometimes. And mm. for me, yeah, for me, it's important to have shoes that you feel comfortable in and you feel like you're working properly. Yeah. Yeah. But now with Brexit, yeah. I think it makes life harder for them to ship. Oh, uh, no. We'll see what happens. Yeah, see, that's <laughs> something that we just haven't even had to think about that much in Australia I don't think you know as as dancers um I mean maybe maybe just in different industries it's mattered but I think obviously in Europe it's and and with COVID too and fewer people traveling you know to Europe and the UK I think we just haven't had the time to kind of digest the magnitude of that of that change but obviously it it makes a huge difference Mm. yeah you guys seem like you're Mm. in another world over there well thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure to listen to your story in full and you know and for you to share these experiences with the pre-point pod listeners thank you it was so much fun it's great to hear from you as always softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.